It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to go over the film of the Jets' most recent editions by the host of Blewett's Blitz on JetsXFactor.com, a website that also includes frequent Play Like a Jet guest Michael Nania. And that, of course, is the one and only Joe Blewett. Hey, Joe, what's going on, buddy? Um, you know, it's, uh, I am doing the proper thing and, and practicing social distancing to hopefully kill this, uh, this virus. So I've been cooped up, um, in, in a house for about a week and I'm anticipating another couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm grinding out some film to get it out to Jets fans and start getting into the draft people, uh, you know, the draft prospects. This is kind of, you know, it's never a good situation with the virus, but it kind of hit at the perfect time of, of year with free agency in the draft and having as much film to do. So, um, it's, it's overall, it hasn't been too bad. As bad as everything is right now, the fact that you have to stay inside does give you the extra time to be able to do these film reviews, which you were going to do anyway. And I'm going to have you back on to do individual breakdowns of the top draft prospects, particularly the four offensive linemen, because I know that you've broken them down. And I'm sure that the full film reviews are going to be up soon at JetsXFactor.com. But Joe, I want to talk about the free agents first. So let's start with the one that everybody seems to agree was the best signing, Connor McGovern. What'd you see there from a pass protecting standpoint? Because it seems like his reputation is that of somebody who is a better pass blocker than run blocker. Although, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well, Philip Lindsay, and I've brought this up a couple of times, who was an undrafted rookie running back a couple of years ago, had two really good years for the Broncos, which corresponded to Connor McGovern's time at center for the team. And he has credited Connor McGovern with really helping him in the run game. So I'm wondering if maybe there's something that didn't show up on film or didn't show up in the stats that McGovern was doing in terms of recognizing protections and things like that that might have contributed to Lindsey doing well as a running back that he was talking about when he singled out McGovern. So talk to me a little bit about his positives, and then we'll get into the negatives. Yeah, the positives, I, like I said, Jets, Jets X Factor. Um, I like to refer to as Jets X, um, the website that, you know, that I'm now working for, um, along with Sabo and Nania, who both do great work as well. Um, looking to bring some more people on, you know, hopefully in the future to provide some more content. Uh, but his strength, I have a list of it, and it's there's a there's a ton of them. I don't know if you want me to go through the whole list, but uh, in terms of pass protection, he definitely has a good anchor. Um, he's aggressive with his hands. I think he sets his hands well. He resets his hands well. Um, he's good at framing guys. He's good at you know sliding with guys. Uh, super good in terms of the power he offers, plus the short area explosiveness. Um, he's really good. Um, in terms of hand checking, overlap technique, uh, which is important for your guards to basically know that he's next to them, um, plowing guys, uh, hammering guys, all these things that he that he offers. I think he's aware. You see a lot of times where you know, let's say the the right guard and the right tackle are are you know shuffling in their gap protection to the right, and then he has a one technique to his left. He'll he'll throw out a hand check to assist the, the right guard in getting position on that one technique to make sure he doesn't penetrate the a gap. You know, that's close to the quarterback, but the entire time he has that hand, you know, on that one technique, uh, one technique to his left, um, his eyes are to the right on that a gap and on that right guard to see if you know if anything's going on there, and if he does have to. Um, explode into that A-gap to pick up a penetrator, you know, looper, whatever it may be, um, that the right guard was passing off to him. He has that short area explosiveness to be, both be able to hand check the smarts to be able to watch the A-gap and, like I said, the explosive to get there, get in front of the guy, um, drop him to the ground. So he offers really he's, – he's a, he's a strong anchor. 
if you look at some of his, his you know, things about college, how much he pressed and how much he cleaned and how much he squatted, um, and it shows up in the tape of how strong his anchor is with good technique. And it, it's, it, it was surprising to me that there are even times where his chest is controlled um, in pass protection by a bull rusher, and he's still able to work off the insteps, get into his anchor without good hand placement, which is really, really obviously important to have that hand placement. Um, but it's also important to see if you can anchor down without that hand placement. So it shows me a really strong um, trunk, strong core of McGovern to be able to hold up um, without, you know, that hands, which might may account for, let's just say 25, 30% of being able to hold up from a bull rush. So he offers a lot in, in pass protection, smart with studs and blitzes and things like that. Now there was a time or two where I, I would see him overcommit um, to a penetrator and he let a looper in. Um, it was very, very rare, though, so I didn't mark it down as, as a weakness, and there's going to be a play or two you give up. Um, even though, like I said, passing off those stunts and blitzes was one of his strengths, there's going to be an example of every single guy um, giving up a stunt or something like that, so I wouldn't necessarily you know, mark it down as, as a weakness. But like I said, with, with, his, with his drag hand and overlap technique, with him checking guys, um, with his strength in his core, the, the short area explosiveness, the, the ability to change his punch, uh, fighting to rework his hands, the you know the the anchor that he has, um, he's a really really good pass protector. Now there, like I said, there are some weaknesses that I that I uh, noted down in pass protection. I don't think he's necessarily you know a top three pass protector in the league, but I, I definitely think he's upper tier. But there are some um, you know weaknesses there that that I that I noted down. There there's some times you see some forward lean. Um, but his legs is a little bit too straight up where he's reaching for blocks where you see a more consistent anchor um, in, in pass protection. But overall, it's definitely, um, you know, a very, very positive part of his game. Uh, now, for the run game, uh, he's he's definitely much more inconsistent. In it. There, there are some examples of him playing really, really well in the run game. Uh, I think it's like one of the first plays I put up against the Raiders where uh, as a center, he reaches a three technique and covers the play side gap, which is to his left, which covering a three technique and, and getting your hips in front of him um, on the play side is almost impossible. It, it's really, really hard to do, but he shows a, a good understanding of footwork, uh, whether it be when to drop step, brace step, near step, zone step, whatever it may be. Um, in this case, it was, a, it was a bucket step, and the bucket step is, is basically going to split, you know, split your legs going backwards, which allows you to drive off of that leg and open your hips. He, he, he uh uses that bucket step and works laterally instead of working towards the guy, uh, attacks the outside shoulder of the three technique and then uses that, that contact on that outside shoulder. He whips through and uses that as a pivot point to get in front. So there's some really good examples of him in the run game, but there's also examples of him in the run game uh, where you see some of that forward lean. You see um, him not have a consistent base working up to the second level. I think most of the problems with him um, in the run game, we're at the second level. There are some times you see inactive feet on the on the first level as well, but um, too often with him working up to the second level, I think he takes good angles, but I like to see him break down his feet a little bit more, be a little bit more active with his feet and, and short chop your steps, get a wider base and be able to react either to the left or to the right, um, whereas he runs too top-heavy into you know second-level players, whether it be linebackers and safeties where he's pop-blocking where he's not really running through his hands, not doesn't have active feet with his punch, where he's kind of just trying to deliver a big shot to a guy. But if they're able to, to sidestep him, to swipe his hands away, you can see him on the ground. So I think him working up to the second level with a more consistent base would definitely benefit um, him in the run game and also with his hand placement on the second level. Um, I think it's a little bit sketchy sometimes because his hands are a little bit too narrow and your hands are too, too narrow. You're not controlling as much of the body as you should be where it allows – you know, easier lateral movement um, from, you know, linebackers, which is what they're going to try to do. There's not a lot of linebackers who are going to try to stack you. Um, they're going to try to swipe your hands and, and work laterally because obviously you're much bigger than them, but they might be a little bit faster, you know, in a uh, lateral type sense um, or even in every sense. So I think him punching with a more, you know, wide hand placement on the second level would definitely benefit him as well, which you're, you're afforded the, the opportunity to do on the second level more than on the first level. The first level, you punch too wide, your chest is going to control your knees. Uh, you know, you're going to get a bull rush to the quarterback. Um, but on the second level, you're, you're playing against linebackers, so you want more containment punches, more safe punches. So I think there's some things he needs to work on in the run game. 
Um, overall, I would say he's average with really good flashes in, in, in the run game, though. I don't know if that covered all the bases, but I kind of just ramble. You know, that's how it is, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so as far as a grade, what grade would you give him as a pass blocker and as a run blocker? Uh, uh, grades. Um, I guess in pass direction, I'll give him an A-. minus. Um, there are some things, like I said, with a more consistent anchor with not, without reaching for guys. Um, I would like to see a little bit less chasing of guys. It doesn't happen too often, but it does happen. Um, so he's not perfect there. So I'm going to give him an A minus. In the in the run game, I'll give him I'll give him a B minus um, with flashes of A's, but it's just too inconsistent with working to the second level. Um, there are some times you see his feet get inact- in, inactive where he'll get into a guy, um, but it, you know I'd like to see him uh, cover that gap with more active feet, whether it be working upfield, working to the play side, whatever it may be with his feet. There's there's too many times where his feet stall a little bit and it allows for movement from the defensive line and that he's trying to block or the outside linebacker. So um, there's just too much inconsistency there. But like I said, it is there are some examples, like I said, of reaching that three technique that are top-notch. So I wouldn't give it a C. I wouldn't call it average or even a C-plus because of the flashes that he has. I'll give it a, a B-minus, almost linked to a C-plus. But um, the pass reaction is definitely an A-minus, which brings him to, you know, overall, in my opinion, he's a, he's a D-plus type player. I, you know, I... I I'm going to anticipate you asking me, well, where do you feel that he ranks? Because that's you, you people, everybody loves rankings. <laughs> so, and without watching every single center in the league, because I don't have enough time to do that and watch Jets players, that would, that would mean this is, this is my full-time job, which it's not, um, you know, somewhere in that, in that eight to 12 range. I think he's, I think he's above average. I don't think he's elite, but I think he's definitely very solid. And I think his grading and all these different grading systems, I think he's like number 10, which I think is, is a, a legitimate ranking. Like I said, could he be a, a few spots higher depending on, you know, what I would see if I watch the other centers? Yeah. Could he be a little bit lower as well? Yeah, probably. So I would say in that eight to 12 range, I think the Jets got a, an upper tier center, but he's not like a, you know, like a Jason Kelsey, like the elite type center, but he's definitely very solid. I think it's fair to say that Connor McGovern was a safe signing. You know that he's going to perform. You know that he's going to be reliable. You know that he's going to be able to protect Sam Darnold the same way that Simply Safe can protect your home. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm's real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All the alarm company can tell them is that the motion sensor went off. But Simply Safe gives you a much higher level of home security. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection for your entire home, 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know Play Like a Jet sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. Now, Joe, let's talk about a much riskier signing, the first one that the Jets had in the free agency period, and that, of course, is George Fant. George Fant has never been a full-time starter, and when I say full-time starter, I'm talking about somebody who is counted on week in, week out to be the starter throughout the season. I'm not talking about somebody that does spot duty, because he did do that. He started in spot duty, but seems to me that he was very erratic, even on the tape that I watched where he was supposedly showing flashes of elite ability his technique looked incredibly sloppy, like against Nick Bosa. That's the clip that everybody keeps circulating, and his technique looked really rough, even in those matchups. Talk to me a little bit about George Fant, because this seems to be kind of a wing and a prayer by the Jets. I know that he's very big and strong and athletic and has some great raw tools, but from watching his tape, what I saw was somebody that has a long way to go to become a really good, consistent tackle in the league who can start game in and game out. And I don't know that I would be comfortable with Sam Darnold going into year three with this guy as one of the starting tackles. Is that what you came away thinking? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a swing for the for defenses with this signing. And um, I agree with you where, you know, if we're going into the season with him definitely as a starting tackle, you'd be a little bit nervous, um, which I'm, you know, in the ideal world, I'm hoping the Jets draft. Uh, whether it be Andrew Thomas, Beckton, you know, Wills or Wirfs, and they and they start them whatever 
position they feel comfortable with them, left tackle, right tackle. And then you have a guy in a Doga and Fant, you know, fighting for that left tackle or right tackle spot with each other and the best guy plays. I think that's what's most likely going to happen because a lot of people, okay, the Jets signed a bunch of, you know, average, well, let's say very solid with, with McGovern. And for the other guys, I would say below average um, guys. Now let's draft CD Lamb at 11. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Jets, if one of the tackles are still there, they're going to be taking them. So I'm hoping that Fant's competing with the Doga. Um, and, you know, for Conklin's price, I think that the Jets should have looked to sign him because it's definitely lower than a lot of us anticipated. Um, that's obviously not what happened, whether, you know, you don't necessarily know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe if the Jets were offering him the price at the end, I don't have insider sources. Maybe, maybe the Jets were offering what the Browns did or maybe a little bit higher, but he didn't want to play with the Jets for some reason. I know he played at Michigan. So being, you know, Cleveland's close to Michigan, maybe he felt like his more of a hometown type thing, whatever it may be. But, um, there wasn't a ton of tackles out there. I, I would still definitely like them to sign a guy like Peters or maybe even trade a third in like a next year's fifth or sixth or whatever it may be for a guy in Trent Williams to give them real draft flexibility. Um, or even just having a more, uh, and maybe not an upper tier line, but an above average line. I, I think if you make these signings, you add Trent Williams or Jason Peters and then you have, uh, let's just say, you know, Wills at right tackle, which would be my dream. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a little bit risky. And to be honest, you know, especially with the Jets, we talk about it all the time, Scott, with the, with the best time of the year being the off season because the season's right, you know, September, maybe even October. Yeah, you have a chance, but then by November, December, you're like, oh my God, who, who's available in the draft because the Jets suck so bad, um, for so many years that off season, uh, you know, especially for agency with the hitting first uh, as the first part of the off season where, where Jets fans are so, um, you know, impatiently waiting the start of free agency. So the first day when they don't sign anybody and you see, um, you know, you see uh, Conklin go, you see, you know, um, Cooney get tagged, you see Glasgow get signed, and then the Jets come out inside and George Fant, people are going crazy. And, you know, I didn't really understand it, uh, the signings. I'd never heard of them. And then turning on the film and I watched, uh, I think, I think I watched two games of 2018, which was like week 17 and 16 because, you know, I have Nani on my side and he tells me the games they play the most snaps, but the games I watch. And I was appalled at the film, to be honest, at the, at the very start of it. Um, and I was like, Jets fans are going to hate me because the first <laughs> and anticipated because the first 15 plays I recorded of him are really, really bad. Um, technique, you know, everything from his hands being too low and run blocks, giving his chest up, chest up, opening his hips too far or too early and pass direction, oversetting, um, being top heavy, uh, load up and punch, hands wide, his balance, his, just a ton of things were, were wrong, um, in his game. And then going into the 2019 season, I watched two games that he, that he graded out poorly and I was updating the guys in the Slack channel the entire time. Um, week like six, seven or five, six, it was the Browns and the Ravens, I believe. And he was still really bad, but he wasn't absolutely, you know, terrible. So like, okay, you know, steps in the right direction. And with a guy, and, and we'll talk about week the 17 and, and the wild card in, in a second, but for a guy who I'm sure you've covered on this podcast, you know, you, you do a really good job in terms of diving deep on guys and, and, uh, their past history and things. And, um, He's a guy who I think he only played his senior year or, or his last year of college as, as an offensive lineman, whereas um, before that he was a tight end and he's playing basketball and things like that. So he's definitely raw for the position. And then being raw coming out of college and not having a lot of starts under your belt, um, it would be anticipated that he would be raw. So that was a, a benefit of, you know, in terms of his tape and being raw, looking back on his history, seeing why he would be raw. So I was like, okay, I get it. Um, and, him taking steps up from, from 2018 later in the season to 2019, you know, it was a positive for me in those weeks, five and six games, even though it was the, 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 he graded out still poorly, it wasn't as bad. And then looking at his tape in, in, you know, week 17, I believe 17 was against the Niners in 18, where I, I refer to the wild card as week 18. Uh, week 18, he played the uh, Eagles, I, I believe it was. And he started a left tackle. I, I think in 18, he was playing some games at right tackle too. Um, so he has some flexibility there, versatility, but he definitely played better at left tackle. Um, and in those games, as compared to 18 and even to earlier in the season and uh, in 19, he definitely took a step up. That, that, that's for sure. Um, in terms of his technique, now, like you said, it was not perfect. And on whatever clips it may have been that you watched, um, it still wasn't good technique. But I'm sure that the technique was better than it was in 18 because the technique in 18 was so bad. But 
you know, he, he has, he, he's an athlete for sure. Everybody says that the, the way he can, he can cover gaps quickly um, with his feet. You can definitely tell he played basketball and played tight end. He's definitely really nimble on his feet for a guy who's 322 pounds, six, five. So really athletic uh, length, quick feet, speed in the open field, his loose hips, his stop start ability, his ability to drop his post um, ability to recover um, is all really positive. And you pair that with his strength, his, his natural strength, his ability to, to anchor without good hand placement, um, his quick change of direction of the legit improvement was reasons that I, okay, it, it's more of a positive sign. Now I don't love the signing um, of him because oh, I, I, I don't love the reason he was signed. Like you said, you know, for him to compete for a starting spot, don't love it. Um, but if he was signed as like a $6 million swing tackle, okay, I get that because there's injuries. So I don't love the price he was signed for, especially if he goes into the season as a starter. I'm not, you know, overly positive about it, but uh, I'm definitely encouraged by the steps he took. But there are some things that he still has to has to work on. Like I said, even with, with those good weeks of 17 and 18, he still wasn't a perfect tackler, you know, even average. He, you still see, you know, his, his, his feet stopping, um, to, to punch guys with, with inactive feet. You can see him lunging for, for blocks. You can see him punching wise. There's not, not much power into his punch, even though he has that power with proper technique. You know, you want to see him cover, cover the gaps of his hips more, um, more often. So there's definitely some, some things that he needs to work on. But I, I think what I saw from, from late 18 to, to mid 19 to late 19, the, the, the steps he took was definitely encouraging. So I'm, I'm hoping that a guy um, and Frank Pollock, you know, was sitting down with Joe Douglas and said he can really work with this technique and they were encouraged by it. But at the same time with that, like I said, $9 million and, and him being a starter is a little bit too much for me. So like I said, I'm hoping that he competes with Adoga. If Adoga wins, great for Adoga. If he doesn't win and Fant wins, um, you know, great for Fant. It's still not going to be a, a strong, you know, a strong spot, uh, spot on the line, but, Hopefully he develops. You know, he's 28 years old. So, you know, if he if he keeps rounding out his technique and he turns into, let's say, a, a below average tackle to an average tackle, you know, that's a great hit for Joe Douglas. But at the same time, he can end up being a, an overexpensive swing tackle. So, um, again, rambled, but that's what I do. Seems like a hell of a gamble, though, for a 28-year-old, right? I know he's relatively new to the position, but it seems pretty late to be thinking that a guy is going to be able to develop into an average starter or better. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I get the the thinking for that. You know, if he was 28 years old and he's played, you know, starter snaps for every single season, um, you know, would that be more the case? Yes, but because he's he's raw to the position, both in the NFL because he hasn't played a lot, he's been a backup, um, and also switching from right tackle to left tackle, not playing in college, um, would it be a, a reach to anticipate him being average? Uh, yes, I believe so. I, I think he could end up being a, a bad starter. Um, or even like I said, just a just a decent depth piece. So I'm not I'm not definitely saying that he will be, but I saw the flashes of it. Um, you just have to hope that Joe Douglas, like I said, it is, his his eye is good enough. Um, and he trusts what he sees, and Pollock can develop him. But uh, the the good thing with tackle is, as people know now, you know there's people clamoring to sign you know Jason Peters, and Jason Peters is not the same. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing the two. But offensive tackles, offensive linemen, you see Whitworth, you see Peters, you see Trent Williams, who's 32 years old, that people really want to sign. So it's not like he's playing running back receiver um, or anything like that. So if he, if, he, if he can develop into, you know, a bad or, or a decent spot starter, um, I get the signing, even though I, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the, the price or um, with the role. I think they're anticipating him to play, but I do think there is a, there is a shot he could be a, a below average starter. I'm not, I'm not saying I'll bet my house on it, though. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the other new starter on the offensive line, Greg Van Roten, formerly of the Carolina Panthers. Grew up on Long Island, so that right there wins him a lot of points with Jets fans. And he's somebody that was a bit of a late bloomer. He was a journeyman, spent three years on the bench for Carolina where he didn't play much, and then he became a starter in 2018. Missed five games last year. I believe he had a broken toe, but he did spend the majority of the last two seasons as a starter. Book on him is that he's an above-average pass protector and a below-average run blocker. As far as I can tell, just from watching a little bit of him and knowing what I've seen from Brian Winters, this doesn't seem like much of an upgrade, if an upgrade at all, if Winters is healthy. And I get it when people will point out, well, if he's not able to be on the field, then what good is he anyway? True, but as I said, Van Roten missed five games last year as well, so it's not exactly like he's completely healthy. Do you think that's a fair assessment that maybe Van Roten's a little better in pass protection, probably worse than Winters in run blocking? and that it might be close to a push, maybe a slight edge for Van Roten? Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say so. That's probably true. I, I think they're both below average guards, um, but they can start. Just obviously they're not going to be the strong suit, you know, of your line, but he offers, and, and you know, broken toe, it's not something that's going to be chronic. It's not, you know, Winters has a bunch of issues with, with shoulders, with I, think, I believe with his knees, so he has more chronic issues to worry about where, a broken toe is kind of like a freak thing. You're not going to worry about, oh, you know, he's a good player, but his toe keeps breaking. Like, that's not something that's too, that doesn't happen too often. So I, I think he has a better availability, um, which is a good ability. Everybody says that than, than Winters. Um, obviously, that's to be tested a little bit, though, as well, because he's, like you said, he's, you know, late bloomer type guy, 30 years old. So he hasn't played as much as Winters. So if he starts playing more as a starter, does he get hurt? Uh, believe I, I forget I forget what his his deal is I know it's like a, it's a, it's basically a one year deal they can get out of it could be a one year deal or a, I think it might be a three year deal they can get out of it for one year whatever it may be um, I don't think he's a long term starter I, I do think he's he's below average he you know everybody has some interesting traits I, I you know I think his arm length is good he's really broad shoulders really wide base um, I think he has some decent power in his anchor and his punch uh, he plays with his hands on guard. Um, he plays low while not engaged. Uh, what else do I have listed here? Uh, maintains his balance after being off balance. So I think he shows <laughs> that not going to make a lot of sense to people, but even with him being off balance, he gets back to balance after being off balance, which he shouldn't be initially anyway. It's, it's something I have to kind of clean up in my notes that I put down here. Uh, strong grips, uh, strong grip. He looks to, you know, lay the wood a little bit, but he definitely has some some weaknesses. Uh, I wrote down uh, can reach lunge for blocks uh, without feet, top heavy feet a little clunky, uh, feet average at best, uh, load up and punch, hands can be high, uh, a little tight in his hips, overcommits the blocks, not good with stunts. Uh, that's something I have to look at a little bit more. Um, some wasted steps with his footwork, a lower upper body disconnection in terms of linking the hands and the feet with punching and things like that. Can overset, so he definitely. And there's more I have listed here, so I want to read the whole list. Um, so he definitely has flaws, but you know, a, a guard who might be here for a year is year or two um, until they draft his replacement or sign his replacement. I think he's fine, um, but he's 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 still below average. I'm not going to call him average. I think that would be uh, me kind of putting on my Jets fan goggles and and watching this film where the film doesn't lie, and I don't like to to lie about this film um, to anybody, especially myself. So I, I think he's a spot starter or not a spot starter. You know, he's going to be here for a year or two while they find his replacement, but he's a little bit better than Winters just because of his availability, but they both have their, their technical flaws. While, you know, like you said, Winters might be a little bit better in the run game, um, but not as good pass reduction as, as Roden or Roden is a better pass blocker than run blocker. But overall, even in both, in both aspects, they both have uh, technical flaws and, 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 uh, 
in deficiencies. So it's um, it's an interesting signing, but it's not something I was I was jumping out of my chair for. But you know, you 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 see him sign. Um, it makes you feel a little bit better than having Winters, like I said, because of that lack of, uh, of availability because of his injury history. So. Seems like Adam Gase really wants guys on the offensive line that are better pass protectors than run blockers. Doesn't seem to care much about run blocking. Is that more or less the vibe that you got looking at these three guys? Yeah, it, it, and this is this would come along with me watching the other guys too. Like I don't necessarily know who was available on the market who's a better pass or run blocker than pass blocker. So I don't know if it was necessarily them really targeting the pass blockers or that was just what was available to them. Um. I would say if I had to focus on something, I, I, I would say that it definitely would be pass blocking because who's more important at this point in the Jets franchise going forward? You know, Le'Veon Bell, who's going to be gone after this year, um, more than likely, um, or Sam Donald. So if they were targeting something specifically, yeah, it would probably be pass blocking, but I don't necessarily know who was available to say, yeah, it was definitely, you know, okay, well, you know, this this guy, uh, Josh Josh Jones, or well, he's actually in the draft. Let's, let's use a different name. Scott Mason was in there and he's a guard and, you know, they could have got him for the same price as Van Roten, but Van Roten's a better pass blocker than run blocker, so they got him. Like I don't necessarily know that. I'm sitting and watch the other guys who were available. I don't necessarily know who was available, but um, I just say oh, offensive line in the whole has obviously um, been a very uh, big thing for Douglas. And even if you don't love the signings, you know, obviously, you know, fans wanted Tooney, or even, even I wanted Tooney. I'm really, really high on Tooney. I wanted Glasgow. I wanted you know, Conklin at his price. And, you know, depending on what was happening behind the scenes, the Jets didn't sign him. But I think it's a very strong sign. Uh, you know, it, it's very encouraging that a guy in Joe Douglas recognizes how bad the offensive line was and how important it is to protect Sam Donald because you saw Mike McCagden, who made a good move here or there, made a good trade or two. Uh, it was a bad drafter, but we invested so little into the offensive line throughout his tenure, um, especially – you know, in the, in the earlier years, you know, he had guys like, you know, uh, not Gino, but like Fitzpatrick and McCown. So, okay, offensive line might not be too important, even though I would argue that because I think it's, it's you know, probably the most important thing minus quarterback. Um, and, you know, even after Donald was drafted, how much did they invest in the offensive line in the last, you know, two, three years? You know, the highest pick was a Dova in a third round, but you didn't really see any, any push aside and guy, sign guys in free agency, trade, trade for guys or do anything like that. So I think it's encouraging regardless if you like, you know, signing X, X, A, B, C, D, whatever. I think it's important that he is addressing the offensive line. And I, I think with his background and what he's doing in free agency, I think it's kind of foolish to not think he's going to draft a tackle if he likes him there at 11. Um, and you're going to, you know, pick up a receiver. I don't think that's the right thing to do. Um, build that wall around Donald, you, you know, because let's say even if you do draft a guy, let's say it is Andrew Thomas at, you know, left tackle. Okay, well, great. Now you have Andrew Thomas at left tackle, and you have um, McGovern, you know, who might be the long-term piece at center. But that's only two positions out of five. You know, if if, if you're comfortable with Alex Lewis, Van Rodden, and you know, we have to wait to see how Fant develops or how Adoga develops. So that's a question mark. So let's even give them the nod that they, that they turn into a decent a decent piece moving forward. You still have two positions to address in, in both the guard spots. So. Um, they, he still has work to do, but like I said, I think it's definitely a, a positive that he's, he's looking to address it quickly. Um, and often with signing five guys, I mean, they sign another depth guy. I think his name is uh, Josh Andrews. I haven't watched film on him. He'll probably come after the draft. Um, but it's it definitely a, a, an encouraging sign for me personally. So, Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about the other signing that Joe Douglas had that was sort of under the radar, but I thought was a really good one. And that's Pierre Desir, the former cornerback from the Colts. He was kind of shockingly released after last year signing a three-year, $22.5 million deal with $12 million guaranteed. They were able to save $6.85 million on the cap, and that's why the move was made. Desir had a rough year in 2019. Some people have chalked it up to a hamstring injury. Who knows? Perhaps that's the reason. That's the gamble that you take when you're signing somebody like Desir. But 
They signed him to a one-year deal with a max value, if he hits all his incentives, of $5.5 million. For a guy that you have penciled in to start at cornerback and who in the past has been solid, I don't think that's a bad gamble at all. He's not old per se. He's 29, going to turn 30. You only have him on a one-year deal, so it doesn't seem like there's a lot to lose here. Even if he ends up being terrible, the worst you get is a depth piece, and that is more or less what my friend George Bremer said when I asked him about this. George has been on the show a bunch of times. He covers the cult for CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin in Indianapolis. Joe... I think that this year, at this moment, has to be penciled in as the starter, and I think that for a one-year deal with a max value of $5.5 million, it's worth the gamble that he could be even close to what he was in 2018, and that's not to say he was some sort of all-pro in 2018, but he was a solid starter in 2018. This team desperately needs that. The cornerback market was thin, past the guys that got paid a lot of money, like Trey Wayne's and James Bradbury and Byron Jones, this seems to be a pretty good alternative. And I like the fact that Joe Douglas struck quickly. Have to figure that Rex Hogan played a part here because Hogan was in the Colts front office. So I'm sure there was a connection there that was able to get this done really quickly because the Jets did sign Desir a day after the Colts released him. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from Pierre Desir so far. And are you encouraged that he could help the Jets secondary in 2020? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I'm laughing because Ken, I think anybody can help the Jets right now, especially <laughs> considering how bad they were. It's just like he, he he's better than Tremaine Johnson. Thumbs up, good signing, you know. And especially when you see, like you said, really, you know, solid in solid in 2018. Like I, I have eight games of both, uh, eight games in 18, eight games in uh, games in 19 to see, you know, uh, pre and post injury how he was playing. Like you said, 29 years old. Um, it's encouraging with guys who are older who haven't who have been backup type guys because they don't have the the mileage on the t- on the tires that if he was drafted at 24 25 23 whatever it might have been if he was playing every single year and now you're getting the 29 years old okay you know he has a lot less tread on the tires so it, it's positive that he's been a you know a backup obviously you know you'd want him to start and sign a guy who's elite at 29 but that's not the case so you can look at that as, with a silver lining that he's older but he hasn't played a ton of snaps um now, uh, it, yeah, it's encouraging because the Jets don't have bodies there. You know, I, I remember coming back to Twitter, and like I said, I took a couple of months off where I was just uh, hiding out, doing whatever, maybe somewhere internally. I know this coronavirus thing was coming out, so I just hiding in my room, um, you know, away from the, the Jets film and doing whatever. Um, but I came back to Twitter, and people were talking about, oh, well, you know, we're okay next year if we have Bless on Austin as your number one and, and Mallette as a two. That is foolish uh austin was often injured in, in college um he played three game, three good games or so and then got benched i believe it was in the Steelers game and that's he wanted your number one a guy with injury problems who had very little starting experience who got benched like that's that's, that's what you want um pool was a great resigning you know uh, obviously to, to contribute to that uh group i think 5.5 million dollars which is a really really good price obviously people will want to say and will say oh well why don't they just sign up for more years obviously they probably tried to but pool um is betting on himself again you know two really good years in a row maybe he can cash out a little bit because he's still young enough to do so um so that's a positive signing um and i still think they need another cornerback but i'm much more comfortable you know which i'm, I'm still not comfortable with you know this year as your one with Poole as your two who flexes into the, into the slot when they play um, nickel sets with guys in, in West Austin, uh, Harrison, Mollette competing for that, you know, that, that outside number two or number four spot. Um, I'm still thinking they're, thinking they're going to address it again. Um, I would like to see a veteran signing like an Amukamara uh, to add to this group where I feel much more comfortable with an Amukamara over those three guys I just mentioned competing for the number two spot or even number one spot. Um, but yeah, it's, he, he's definitely um, an interesting player. Uh, the, the length he has, the arm length, the, the loose hips, the quick change of direction, stop start, uh, nice smooth pedal where he plays over his toes positive. He aggressively plays the ball in the air. Um, he's going to add some swagger into that secondary along with Jamal Adams who makes a big hit or you know, somebody else makes a big hit or playing the ball. You can definitely see him puffing his chest out a little bit and you know, having some, some swag in, in the secondary is always a good thing. You, you know, with, with secondary guys, you see that a lot, but I like the confidence that he has, route, uh, route recognition. He's a willing and good tackler. I, I think he's pretty patient with his hips um, in press coverage. Like I said, I'm still pretty early into it. 
Um, some of the weaknesses that I listed, you know, long speed, I, I think in off coverages, call, uh, coverages he opens too soon. He doesn't fight to stay over top of the receiver as much as he should, where he gives up the inside a little bit too easily. Um, I would like to see him in press coverage, get his hands on more and stop playing with so, so much uh, catch coverage and, and, and soft shoot technique, where I would like to see him take advantage of his length a little bit more in that press coverage. Um, and that's kind of like the early, the early list that I have from pretty early into it. Um, I know he plays the right side mostly in, 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 in his coverage. He likes the right side of the field. Uh, he played a lot of different coverages that I've seen so far, you know, cover two, cover three, cover four, uh, bail, press, soft shoe, uh, catch. Um, there's a bunch of different things he, he can do. Um, but I definitely think he's a, he's a positive signing, like you said, especially earning a contract of, of maximum of five, five and a half, whatever you said, um, is, is a good contract for a guy who – um, show that he could be a solid starter in 2018, and like you know, below average in 2019. Like, like I said, I want to see how the how the hamstring affected that. But especially when you see the, the corner contracts going around right now, like the Bengals signing Trey Waynes for 15 million dollars a year or whatever it was, is is absurd. <laughs> like that is crazy. So to look at those contracts and getting two guys in Pool and Hair and uh and Desaire and you know, let's just say 10 million dollars together. Um, is a you know is a huge is a huge uh, positive for um, Joe Douglas, and I, th- I think it's a value signing. You know, a guy in a short term deal, one year deal, who maybe they re up him after, you know if he plays well, um, or maybe he goes out and tests the market, and then he gives them another year to uh, to address that need, whether it be through the draft or in free agency next year. But to hold the fort for a year and potentially be a guy who signed for another couple of years after this year to get an extension, whatever it may be. Um, it's definitely positive, especially looking at, at the depth they have. I, I still feel it's a position that needs to be addressed um, still, but it was definitely a step in, in the right direction for that group. And it's already better than last year because you're replacing this year um, over Tremaine Johnson. So, and for a lot less money. The way I look at it is even if this year plays his best football and reaches all the incentives, you're still paying him less money than Daryl Roberts was supposed to earn this year before the Jets released him. He was due to make six million, and Desir can't make more than five and a half. So that's a win right there because you're getting a guy yeah. who, best case scenario, is an average to above average corner. Worst case scenario, he's depth worth the gamble. And the way I look at it is, you bring him in here, pencil him in as the starter. If somebody beats him out in camp unexpectedly, that's fine. You don't have to worry about it because it's a one-year low-cost deal. So it's not like you go out, sign a guy to a five-year contract, and then he ends up getting benched for a third-round rookie, a la Matt Flynn and Russell Wilson. He comes in here as the presumed starter. If he gets outworked, fine. But at least you have a legitimate starting option there. And then on the other side, you've got Poole in the slot. And now you can look at Millette, Austin, Hairston, and even a draft pick or another veteran, they can all compete for that other spot, which is good because Rome wasn't built in a day. And while I have my quibbles with some of the things that Joe Douglas has done, this is the exact kind of signing you want because there's no way that they were going to be able to fix everything in one offseason. There were just too many holes and too many important positions. So if you can at least get hold the fort guys at some of these positions, guys that can perform at a level better than what the Jets got last year, that's really all you can look for we'll see if they add more guys like that I do think that the fact that Desir and some of these other guys can compete and maybe at least give the Jets decent coverage in the secondary would be helped a lot if they can add a better pass rusher we know interior we're expecting to see some more from Nathan Shepard and Quillian Williams both had promising flashes last year Shepard really started to come into his own as an interior pass rusher so if those two can continue to blossom and then you can get somebody on the exterior it'll make everybody's job a lot easier in the defensive backfield and while the Jets certainly still need a major upgrade at edge rusher they did get a little bit of help today from an unlikely source it looks like Jordan Jenkins is coming back on a one-year deal he's betting on himself the same way that Brian Poole did gonna try and have another nice year in Greg Williams defense and then cash out when the cap goes up next year so it's probably a smart move considering that there didn't seem to be a big market for Jordan Jenkins. What you can say about Jenkins is he was a high-motor player, sets the edge well, he's consistent, generally pretty reliable. He's not a guy that's an above-average pass rusher. He had 31 pressures last year as an example, which is not very good for an edge rusher. 
But his sack totals have gone up each year. Two and a half as a rookie, then three in his second year, seven in 2018, and eight last year. If you look at the tape, you'll see where a lot of those sacks come from. They're not the type of beating a guy one-on-one type of sacks that you like to see, or even beating double teams, which ESPN, for some reason, says that Jordan Jenkins gets double teamed a ton. He really doesn't, and Michael Nania did a great job of explaining this, and I'm going to have him back on on the podcast sometime in the near future to discuss this as well. But the Jets do a lot of stunts, so if Jordan Jenkins is running into two guys, that's not the same as the other team intentionally double teaming you. The idea that Jordan Jenkins was getting double teamed a lot is patently absurd. But again, this is a team that needed help at edge rusher. Jenkins is what he is. He's an okay pass rusher, more of an edge setter, but this is better than what they had right now. They bring him back and now maybe they do something in the draft. Somebody gets cut or who knows, maybe something insane happens like Jadavian Clowney. I wouldn't count on it, but at least this gives the Jets somebody on the edge. Jenkins on a one-year deal is a solid move, no long-term commitment, and you can move on and try and get that ace edge rusher next year if you need to. As we just talked about, this is a team that has a lot of holes at a lot of important positions, wasn't going to be able to fill them all in one offseason, so if you can get some hold the fort players, that's the move to make, and let's be honest, that more or less is what Jordan Jenkins is at this point, a hold the fort player, so he'll hold the fort, and then also... James Burgess will help hold the fort. He comes back on a one-year deal. He's more depth along with Neville Hewitt. The two of them were forced into the starting lineup last year because of injuries to Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley. A lot of people have talked about how Burgess and Hewitt played really, really well last year. They didn't. They were below average, but they had a lot of eye-catching tackles on TV. Commentators talked about them, and they did perform better than expected. Still well below replacement level, but good depth behind two linebackers who, as we know, had pretty serious injuries last year in Mosley and Avery Williamson. So, another solid day for the Jets in free agency as they bring back a nice depth piece in James Burgess and a reasonably solid starter in Jordan Jenkins, both of them on one-year deals, so no major commitment to either one. And the Jets are free to try and solve their edge rusher issue in a more permanent way next offseason. Joe Blewett, the host of Blewett's Blitz on JetsXFactor.com. Thanks so much for coming on and talking film with me. Really appreciate it. By the way, speaking of film, since the Jets just re-signed Jordan Jenkins, Joe has done some really good film breakdowns of Jordan Jenkins in the past. You can catch it on his YouTube channel or on his Twitter if you put in at JoeRB31 and Jordan Jenkins, it'll come up. Jordan Jenkins has made some strides over the last couple of years as a pass rusher, still not more than an average pass rusher, but considering what the Jets have right now, that's still an improvement over what they would have gone into the season with if they hadn't signed Jenkins. So a good move on a one-year deal. Go ahead and watch Jordan Jenkins' film from Joe's past reviews. And you want to see the reviews that he's got coming up of the four offensive tackles that are going to be presumably picked in the top 11 in this upcoming draft in April. Jedrick Wills of Alabama, Tristan Wirfs of Iowa, Andrew Thomas of Georgia, and Makai Becton of Louisville. So if you want that, you got to go and visit Joe over at JetsXFactor.com. Joe, tell me about what you're doing over there right now. Yeah, just to quickly run out for agency, and hopefully by the next time I talk to you, um, the Jets have the wide receiver position addressed, hopefully with the sun god, and I'm looking for him to address cornerback as well. So hopefully the next time that I come on, we can talk about those guys that they sign as well. Um, but in terms of the, the Jets X factor, um, I, I, I just put a 62 play review of Connor McGovern, which, you know, like Badlands, all the stuff that everybody's doing now. Um, it is a subscription based, uh, site where it's five ninety nine a month or $50 for the year, which, you know, in my opinion, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good content out there, but how many Jets guys are diving deep into McGovern or, or Fant who actually, you know, really know about film. I, I think the, the two best guys for Jets film on, on Twitter, or, you know, around are, are myself and, uh, Sabo to not sound like a, you know, a prick and, and nominating myself for that. So I, I think for a cup of coffee or two a month, I, I think it's worth it to get really in-depth dives, uh, film from me. Uh, Sabo is kind of all around where I'll do articles and some film breakdowns. Uh, you have Nania, who I think you'd agree with me. Um, that he is one of the best stats guy out there, the best stats guy for Jets and probably even better than pro football focus overall, um, obviously when it comes to the Jets. So you have three legit guys. And like I said, looking to add more. 
um, to the website. I've been the government phone up there um, today. The uh, podcast is being released. The podcast is completely free. Like you said, it, it's changed from TOJ Film Room to Blue It's Blit. I put my last name on the show. Um, YouTube, you're going to be able to watch like a half of the show and then it's going to kind of like gloss over with the, like, again, subscription and you'll be able to see the second half. The podcast is completely free. Uh, but with saying that, I'm working on the seal right now. Uh, fan, I have recorded it and it's ready to put up. I'll be putting up that soon. I have film um, also done and was almost ready to put up on Van Rotten, even though I'm like in the early stages, but that will get done. I have the four tackles done. I have the three receivers done in, in Lamb, uh, Rugs, and Judy. And I have uh, chasing on, uh, Chase on done uh, for the draft. So all of that content's coming your way along with podcasts um, that aren't just about film. We'll do some like player rankings like Scott the last two years with me. You've done like top 25 rankings that will be on the site. We'll do uh, some other things where we get into more talking points instead of film because those are fun to do every once in a while as well. Uh, coming on Blue It's Blitz in the next couple of months. So uh, with me being locked inside, with you guys being locked inside, hopefully um, I have plenty of time to put out content and you guys have plenty of time to consume it. So uh, go to JetsXFactor.com. Uh, subscribe there. Follow me on Twitter. Like I said, I'm still doing some film reviews on there where I might not put up all 60 plays. I might have put up you know, 20 to 30 of those plays out of the 60, but it's still a good chunk of change to, for you to get from there with the guys. Um, all those lists are also, all those reviews are also listed with strengths and weaknesses, which I talked to you, uh, you know, to, uh, with you about with McGovern. With him, he has like 20 strengths listed and like 15 weaknesses, whatever it may be, but those are good things to kind of to have. So, um, I think subscribing is a, a good thing, um, but that is all the things I'll be uh, doing you know, in, the, in the near future. And like I said, you guys have a lot of time to consume it. Hopefully, if you're if you're practicing your your damn social distancing. Go ahead and follow Joe on Twitter at JoeRB31. Subscribe over at Jets X Factor. There may be some more content on top of Joe and Robbie and Michael Nania coming soon. You never know what that could entail, so subscribe now. You get yourself a good bargain. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.